This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 21. While you're doing that, uh, this is the... By the way, we're getting ready to end John. Isn't that nuts? Like, I'm going to miss it so much, we might need to do first, second, and third John, just so I can keep, you know what I mean? Just to keep the pattern here with it. But uh, we're getting ready to end this. And as I was reading in John 21 this week out in the woods, I was actually reminded that this passage here uh, in Israel was super meaningful for me, this exact spot where John 21 took place. In fact, this is a picture of my lovely wife in February of 2020. It's... uh, God bless the Catholics, they have, they'll venerate anything. So they have venerated this spot where they believe to be the spot where Peter jumped off the boat. Everything we're about to read in John 21 happened in this spot, according to, uh, to, to historians in Galilee. And, and this is me there in that same spot in 2016. Now, I don't know if you've noticed anything, but uh, I don't, I, I've gotten a lot of gray hair since then. Y'all are wearing me out, apparently in the last few years, but this is the spot where Peter uh, jumped off the boat and went all Forrest Gump on Jesus. Remember Forrest Gump, Lieutenant Dan, he jumps off the boat and swims to shore. That's what's about to happen here. But in this moment, for me, this was the moment, I would say for Peter, where he went from being Simon to being Peter. He'd John chapter one, Jesus is already calling him Peter. And if you don't know the name Peter, Petros, it just means rock in Greek. So he is calling him who he is. And you, you could tell usually throughout the book of John, especially when Peter is forgetting who he is, because he starts calling him Simon, right? Now for me, this moment and why this moment mattered for me was I was sitting here on the shore of Galilee where Peter jumps from the boat, and I'm reading from this, and I'm, and I'm realizing that this was the, kind of the moment where he literally leaves everything behind. He jumps from his fishing boat, swims to shore to Jesus, and from that moment on, we'll see next week how he steps into this identity. But for me, I don't know if you haven't been around that long maybe, but for the first few years of, of being a pastor at this church, I actually thought, and I'm not being, this isn't like an aw shucks routine. I genuinely thought that the real pastor was going to come along and then I could get back to my life again. Like I did it. We said, yes, Sarah, I did the pastor thing. I can mark that. And then the real guy comes and then I get to go back to my life. And so over the years, like we'd have like legitimate pastors that would be a part of our church fellowship for you know, short period, sometimes like Jason Cruz, he's now at Clearview Baptist, or Dr. Easley at Stonebridge. Like they, they would be in our church for one reason or another. And even currently, we've got pastors, maybe even in this room now, that whether you're retired or you're in between seasons. So in those days, I was looking, thinking, okay, maybe that's the guy. Maybe that's the one that'll be the pastor. And then, I, like I said, I get back to my, to my life. And, and it was at this moment, sitting on the Sea of Galilee in 2016, when I realized that what was happening in Peter's life was what was happening in my life, was that there was no going back. The real guy wasn't coming. My mom was right that I was going to be a pastor someday. Contrary to all evidence, I might add. 
you know, just like a good mama, you know, this is my son, the pastor. I mean, even in the 90s when I was working with music, I'd be like, you know, it works with, she'd say, uh, you know, this is my son, the pastor. I'm not a pastor. Like, I'm, I manage rock bands for crying out loud. And, uh, and then one, uh, for just a short period of time, I got to work with, uh, you know who the Sandy Patty is? You guys know Sandy? For whatever reason, my mom loved the Sandy Patty. And so during that season, she'd be like, you know, my son, he works with Sandy Patty. You know who that is? And then it was back to my son, the pastor. So she, <laughs> she went to heaven in 2008 and never actually got to see me become a pastor. I know about the great cloud of witnesses. But point being, she saw who I was supposed to be. And in that moment in Israel, I don't know, it was just the Holy Spirit. Wild things happen in Israel. Uh, it's just wild how the Holy Spirit speaks. And I know he's everywhere. I totally understand that. But I really felt him saying that the real pastor is not coming. You need to get your crap together and do this thing. And since that moment, I mean, up until then, it was even kind of embarrassing to say that I was a pastor on a, if I was on a plane. Because I mean, think about it. Does, does Franklin really need another church? I mean, I, I would say that out loud. And here I am starting a church, but on a, pa- on a plane. So for like the early days of the church world, I actually kept the, uh, the nonprofit. We kept it separate. The conduit mission started before the church. A couple of reasons. One was I thought, um, uh, I thought a church would ruin it. <laughs> we're going to do this nonprofit. We're feeding these kids, and I didn't want a church to ruin it. And the other was, was if you guys fired me, then I could still have the mission and get, said, get back to my life. A uh, few years in, by the way, we decided, in fact, it was right around 2016, was the realization that, like I said, the real guy's not coming and that I'm the pastor of this church. And so we, we put all that into one, the mission and the church, and it's all this thing. And we doubled down from then on out uh, because I finally know, just like, Peter, I uh, am imperfect. Everybody said amen. Um, I, I still botch it all the time, but at least in this moment, I stepped into the identity that Jesus had called me to do. And what I want to show you is that this is what's happening in Peter's life. And I want to ask your own question that I'd have, am I holding on to something from my past? Am I going back to something in my past that Jesus has called me forward and out of? Am I holding on? Am I keeping a foot in the boat, so to speak? So ask yourself that question. And we're going to read verses 1 through 14 of John 21. So verse 1, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which if you remember, that means he was a twin. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we will go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. We had a couple of those days uh, in Wyoming this week, as I recall. Went out and caught nothing. Although on the last day, Guy, it was like Slaughterhouse Five on the Trout Lake between Chris and Guy. I was just the net intern catching fish for them. But early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And so he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, as soon as Simon 
Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. And that day they would fish, uh, not, not like butt naked, but like just in their underwear. Because if you get, you know, you get a carp on your jacket, it, that smell don't come out. So they would strip down to fish. So he, anyway, he gets his coat, he puts it on, wraps it around him, and he jumps into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, maybe a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you glory tonight. You are the one that gives us purpose and meaning because you are the ultimate purpose and meaning in our universe and in our world globally and in our world internally. It is you, Jesus. I pray that your word will illuminate our path. I pray that you will speak to us each individually here tonight. We're so grateful to be in a city, in, a, in an area where there are so many amazing churches that are lifting your name high all over this area. I'm thinking specifically of Christ Chapel down the road with Pastor Jeremy, man. They are working hard to get into that building. Lord, I pray that you will give them strength to cross the finish line. You are doing great things in that church, and I know that you'll continue to. And for Charlie up the road the other way at Gateway, Lord, bless them. I know they had great services this morning. I pray that you'll give him rest for him and his family as they head into this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Peter on the boat, figures out he's in the wrong place, not where God called him to be, and does exactly what he should have done, which is jump ship and swim to shore. And when I say that, what I want you to see in just these few moments and these few verses is that because Peter found himself in the wrong place, and I'm going to show you in a second why I believe he was not where he was supposed to be, that he was found himself in the middle of what many people find themselves in, which is an empty pursuit. And the best thing that you can do when you're in the middle of an empty pursuit is abandon ship. Get out of town. And when you jump out, you swim to Jesus and sit with him, which is exactly what Peter and the disciples did. Now, how is it that I would say to you that John or that Peter was in the wrong place? Actually, John was in the wrong place too. And the main reason is this. It says, after this, Jesus appeared to his disciples again by the Sea of Galilee. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? Except that in Matthew 28, verse 16, Jesus told them very specifically to meet me at the appointed place on the mountain. He said, meet me on a mountain, not at the sea. Now, the question, of course, is what mountain? And the answer, openly, is we just don't know. But for the purposes of entertainment and edification, can I give you a couple of guesses? First one is this mountain. This was taken last year in uh, Israel in the Golan Heights. That is Mount Hermon. 
Now, Mount Hermon is very famous in the scriptures. Mount Hermon, is it, remember in Psalm, it talks about the dew of, of Hermon that waters Mount Zion. It's this beautiful place. But here's what's interesting about Mount Hermon. At the base of Mount Hermon is Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is the place where Jesus made that famous statement, Dave, about like, the gates of hell will not prevail against me. He, he's saying that in front of a, a cave where the pagans would worship the god Pan. Peter Pan? Well, you can do your own research on that, but there is a 100% connection. The god Pan was a god that the pagans worshipped, and they would worship him by throwing an innocent child into this cave to sacrifice to the god Pan. And if the god Pan accepted their sacrifice, they would have good weather. That was, and it was known in the pagan culture as the gates of hell. So when Jesus says that my ecclesia, right, this is my ecclesia, and by the way, he was taking a word from their language, ecclesia in the Greek culture was the, like their homeowners association. It was like their, their board of aldermen, like they're the ones that would come out and, and make decisions for the city. And Jesus was saying, yeah, but my ecclesia is not that, right? He talked to Peter. He had just changed his name again to Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against me. Why pray tell? Was it just because it was the cave and where God pan and the gates of hell? Yeah, that was part of it. But it's at the base of this mountain, Mount Hermon. The only mountain in the world, by the way, that I know of that is 100% owned by the UN. So make of that what you will. That's a, that's a bonus for the 5 p.m. <laughs> but at the base of Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon, in the book of Enoch, I know it's not canonized, and it's not scripture, but three different authors and writers and people in the New Testament actually quote from the book of Enoch. So in the same way that I would quote from, say, Tim Keller or Michael Easley, like I quote theologians, they quoted from this theologian named Enoch. So we, it's not canonized, it's not inspired, but it's informed and we can learn from it. And what Enoch tells us that it was at the top of Mount Hermon where the sons of God, the Elohim, conspired against God and against humans. And Genesis 6, if you've read Genesis 6, when it says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fine, and they came and they had relations and they had children, and that was the days of, the, oh, days of old, the great men, and the, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And it's right after Genesis 6, right where the flood happens, where Noah and the earth is destroyed by a flood. There is much speculation about that, but what I want you to know is that that was Mount Hermon. So when Jesus, after he says the gates of hell will not prevail, it says immediately that he and three of his disciples went to the top of a great mountain, right, where he was transfigured, and there's Moses and Elijah, and it was there where Enoch says that that's where the sons of God began the war and the assault on humans, that Jesus took his disciples on top of that mountain, and it was from there that it says he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem, where he was going to be crucified, where he would defeat the powers of darkness. 
It was no accident that Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi. It was no accident that he went to the top of Mount Hermon. It was him saying to Satan, to the powers of evil, I'm coming for you and I'm bringing heaven with me. (laughs) You got that? It's possible that that's this mountain, that that's the mountain that Jesus told them to meet them at. It's also possible that Mount Arbel could be the mountain in Matthew 28. This is overlooking. This was a picture taken last year. That is the Sea of Galilee below. And below, those roads that are there now are still the same roads that were there 2,000 years ago. I'm assuming they've been paved a little since then. But these were major trade routes that uh, that took them all the way. It's probably the road that Thomas took that ultimately led him to Egypt. Remember, we talked to, or to India. We talked about Thomas last week. So there are some theologians that believe that it was Mount Arbel where Jesus did this because uh, the, they, the disciples would have known this mountain and they, he was looking down on these trade, tra- uh, trade routes, going to all the nations, make disciples of all men. That's possible. The truth is we don't know. What we do know is this. He told him to meet me at the mountain and Peter went fishing. And not only did Peter go fishing, he took his buddies with him. Isn't it amazing how when we disobey Jesus, we just can't do it alone. We got to bring somebody with us for the party. It's what happens all the time on, you see somebody who is in the middle of a deconstruction of their faith and they can't do it alone. They got to get on the internet and tell all their friends about it and invite them to join them along. So here's what we see here is that where Peter was supposed to be, was at the mountain waiting for Jesus, and here Jesus finds him, not there, but he finds him back in his old life. And what did Peter find in his old life? Nothing. He spent all night and came up empty-handed. And there's a truth for me there. There's a truth for you there. And that truth is, Jesus invited us away from that old life. He's called us away from it. Now, some of us, we want to hold on to it. You know, for me, in many ways, it was a career. I kept trying to keep one foot right in the boat just in case, which is really saying to Jesus, I'm not 100% sure I trust you on this, so I want to make sure and hedge my bets. I want to make sure I've got an escape plan for this. But for others, going back to your old life, going back to the old ways, isn't about your career. It's about the old ways and those that have, like, say, battled with addiction, those that have battled with alcoholism or a drug addiction, and, and you know that you've got to get away from the friends, from the people that drug you there to begin with. And you know that, look, when it gets hard, and by the way, Mount Hermon, let's say it's Mount Hermon, let's say it's Mount Arbel, just for that sake. It's hard to climb the mountain with Jesus. Like, it's not easy to climb a mountain. We just did that in Wyoming. And let me tell you, these mountains weren't that high. But when you're at 8,000 feet, it's like breathing through a straw. Like, I thought I was in way better shape than I am. And I'm like, I can't breathe. We did that in Peru as well. Like, oh man, we can't breathe. It's hard. Climbing the mountain is hard. But anything that's worth it is hard. Jesus' invitation to climb the mountain wasn't just to, uh, for the view. It was, you're going to push through this. And at the top of the mountain, I'm going to meet you there. And the scriptures, man, they are full of God meeting people on mountains. In antiquity, 
lakes or seas spoke of chaos. And the chaos of the ocean, they were scared of the ocean. They were scared of water. There was no sonar. They, they were looking for the Loch Ness Monster too. They knew the Leviathan. Like they're just scared. So the, the water and the sea spoke of chaos. But a mountain spoke of comfort. It spoke of safety. It spoke of being able to see. That's why in Masada, those places they would always build, even Jerusalem is built on a mountain because it's safe on the mountain. Jesus' invitation was to meet them on the mountain. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. Abraham went to the mountain and he met God. Moses went to the mountain and he met God. Jesus would retire to the mountains, to the high places, and would meet God. Your invitation is to get away from the chaos of your life, of your old life, and to meet God on the mountain, to meet Jesus there. And you You hear Jesus in very unique ways on mountaintops, literally and figuratively. And I would say to you, it might be a career. It might be a calling that Jesus has put on your life. Many people, by the way, you're called to stay in the marketplace. Not everybody's called to be a pastor Not everybody's called to be an evangelist. If you are, you should obey. But most of us are called to stay right where we are and be a witness right where we are. So it's not about leaving your career, but there are other parts of our lives that are the boats that we want to hold on to. One of the more dangerous ones that we've seen in the last few years is this idea that, you know, I've been married a long time and and in social media, uh, my old flame pops up. I've seen this happen so many times. I haven't seen him in forever. Haven't seen her in forever. You start just this innocuous conversation online. You're getting in the boat. You're headed back to a place of destruction, to a place where there's nothing. And if that's you, look, I know it's the 5 p.m., so this is probably the morning crew, but I'm just going to float it out there just in case for the 5 p.m. If it's you, and you're thinking about checking out your past, somebody from the past, a part of your past that's moved on because I've been at this a while, I've been married, I'm not as happy as I wanted to be, I want to go back. Can I just tell you, knock it off. Quit it. There's nothing there for you. They were there all night long and caught nothing. The very thing that they were seeking, they couldn't find. They went to the old ways, to the old people, to their old life, and found nothing but heartache and exhaustion and emptiness. The nets were empty. Have you any fish, they say? They no, got nothing. I got nothing. Now, if that's you, and you're struggling right now, and you're in the boat, Okay? You've hedged your bets with a, with a calling. You've, you've been hedging your bets with your relationship. Or just let the Holy Spirit speak to you as to where the boat might be in your life. And might I encourage you to do what Peter did, which is go Forrest Gump, man. Lieutenant Diane and jump and get away as fast as you can. See, he... It says that he put that outer garment on. It almost speaks of a, of a guy that is saying, look, this time, this time I'm not going back. 
I'm taking my coat. I'm leaving nothing in the boat, nothing to connect me back to this old life. Because from here on out, Simon Peter will no longer be referred to as Simon Peter, but only Peter. He grabbed his coat, he left the boat, and swam to Jesus. That day that I sat on the lake, the Sea of Galilee, was the moment where I realized there's no going back. My ships are burned. I got nothing. Not only that, I mean, just to be honest with you, I mean, I, I know that some of y'all here tonight, you still work in music, and I'm looking at it going, I'm just not smart enough to figure this out. All my old tricks, all the old things that I knew that used to work, you put them in a van, in a trailer, you play every crappy club and venue in the country, that's all gone. I'm not smart enough to figure this out anymore. But at some point, I had to just say, like, there is no going back for me because he called me to this moment, and I swam, well, to conduit, quite frankly, because that's what Jesus had for me. And I would encourage you tonight, if you've got a hook in something, if you've got a, uh, if you're leaving so to, a coat, so to speak, behind, just in case for the relationship, for the, the life that you left behind for Jesus, don't leave any hooks behind. Just jump and swim to Jesus because there's nothing there for you, not anymore. And once you've done that, the best possible thing you can do is to sit with Jesus. Look what he's done here. Look, what's, look what he's got. Fish for breakfast. What did they just spend all night looking for? Fish. The very thing that they wanted, they needed, that they were working so hard for, it was with Jesus the whole time. He had it with him the whole time. The thing that they wanted the most was already with Jesus. I think, is that Cash I see back there? There he is. Cash, can I just tell you on Wednesday night that the outfit you were wearing is exactly the outfit I wore in 1988. Now, I'm going to tell you, you wore it a little better than I did. But I was like, man, I recognize that. This Cash Pinson, Cash spoke uh, 17? 17. Cash spoke preached on Wednesday night to our student ministry. And I might add, he mopped the floor with him. If you haven't had a chance, go on to Instagram and check out the clip from his sermon. He talked about the idea of what sin was and, and that you could walk with Jesus. It was just, it was a glorious thing. But this is the whole, this is Cash's sermon in a sentence is that there's nothing there for you. Go to the God of the universe, the God that is all powerful, that wants to walk beside you, that has everything you need right there. Swim to him and just sit there and listen and he will direct your path exactly where it is. And some of you maybe say, yeah, I've already been doing that. I'm waiting to hear from God right now. Just keep sitting there. Keep dining with him. Keep, it's what Revelation 3 says, right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's a great altar call sermon. It just says he wasn't talking to non-believers. He's talking to Christians. So that I'm there knocking at the door. And I'm if you will invite me in to sup with me, to eat with me, to commune with me, that's the invitation that Jesus has for you and for I. Jump from that ship, swim to shore. Everything that you're seeking, everything that you need, he's already got waiting for you there anyway. And he cooked it anyway. He didn't, you don't have to clean the fish, right? You don't have to hit it on the back of the head with a hammer. You, you just, he had it all ready to go right there 
for him, just like he does for you and just like he does for me. And we've shared this before, but it's worth repeating. The only thing man made in heaven are the scars on the body of Jesus. The fish that he was preparing on that day were prepared with hands with holes in them. The hands that proved his love for us, that proved that we can trust him, have holes in them, left them there as proof for you, as proof for me that we can trust that he has our best interests in mind, that he loves you so very much, that he has what you're looking for. I pray that you tonight will find the courage to leave the old life behind. And if you have, and you still don't know where I'm going yet, stay with Jesus. He doesn't love you for what you can do for him. He loves you because of what he did for you. There's a moment where he's gonna tell you like the disciples. He told the disciples in Matthew 28, go and make disciples in all nations. He gave them the calling. He's got a calling for you, whether it's to stay in the workplace, whether it's for full-time vocational ministry, whether it's to open a, a ministry in your own. I mean, whatever it is. I mean, like Sarah and the work that you do helping women and women's rights in America, like whatever it is, like just know that he has something for you. And if you don't know it yet, relax. Eat your breakfast with Jesus. <laughs> and he's going to bring whatever clarity that you need in that moment. I can only speak for me in this situation, but what I know is this. If you'd have told me I was going to be a pastor 15 years ago, it was hilarious. Like, first time I floated it by Shannon... It was one of those, I don't know if husbands y'all do this ever, but I did one of those, you know what Jamie said? He said, you're a pastor, you know, just, just to float it by. And she laughed and laughed and said, and I quote, you don't even like people. How can you be a pastor? <laughs> I'm an introvert. What can I say? Like, I remember looking at, I'm looking at myself on paper going, yeah, she's right about that. Like, I'm an introvert. I'm not a pastor. I can't. Uh, Eric Newberry uh, said something hilarious and hurtful uh, in, in Wyoming when he said, if I were to try to explain to somebody how Darren Tyler is most like Jesus, this is what I would say. His ability to disappear from a crowd without anybody knowing how he did it. <laughs> He was just here. He's like, I read that about Jesus and the Jews trying to kill him and suddenly Jesus got away and escaped. I'm like, now I know how. Darren does that all the time. He just disappears. For you extroverts in the room, man, good on you. I'm trying. I swear I'm trying. <laughs> but what I learned was that Jesus, even in my introversion, he didn't, he, I mean, it wasn't like he's dumb. He, he included that. He factored that in to this calling of mine. But what I needed to learn was that, you know, Darren, the washed up rock and roll manager, that God had called me to do this. And I mean, back in the day, I mean, Aegis was there. I mean, like, if you were to line up 100 people in the music world and say, this one's going to be a pastor, I don't even know if I'd have made top 50. Do you have any idea how much I cussed? 
Like, I'm managing Christian bands, but occasionally you gotta throw your phone and say emergency language. Like, it was not, it was not an option. You could have said neurosurgeon, and it had just as much of a likelihood for me. Like, it just didn't even occur to me. And again, like I said, I'd be on a plane, I'd be like, uh, are you a, what do you do? And I'd say, and I, this, is, this is embarrassing, and it's very true, but I would tell them, uh, I'm the president of a nonprofit. Because <laughs> being a pastor was embarrassing, Tony. Like, I didn't want to do that. You know how uncool that sounded back then? And I say that, and now the only thing I want to do, I can't imagine doing anything else but what I'm doing right now. I want to do this because I finally became who Jesus saw that I was supposed to be. He saw, looking at Peter, there's not an ounce of evidence, right, that he was going to be who he was. The only evidence he had was Jesus said, that's who you are. That's it. I was talking to Chris Vroman this week and he told me the story of early in their life in their marriage with Lisa. And Chris, I hope you don't mind. I, we talked about me sharing this, but Chris, like many, many people, was an alcoholic. And there are many times where I'm sure Lisa said, you know what? Uh, I've had about enough of this. But she said that God showed her in glimpses at that time of who he was gonna be. And that's what kept her holding on. She didn't see who he was. She saw who he was becoming. Jesus tonight, man, just like Peter, he loves you just the way you are. And he loves you way too much to let you stay that way. He doesn't call you who you are. He calls you who you are becoming. And I love it. It's such a gift because when he's in the boat, He's standing on the shore. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if Jesus went up the mountain. I was like, he's knuckleheads. I got to climb all the way back down here. Uh, we don't, I'm pro- he probably didn't since he knows everything. But, but here's what we know he didn't do. He didn't stand on the shore going, you idiots. You had one job. Meet me on the mountain. That's it. No, he calls them children. Have you got any fish? He doesn't bust their chops. He doesn't shame them. He's just saying, look, I know who you are. I know what you can be. I know what you're about to be. And we'll talk in the weeks to come that when Peter steps into it, you're going to see this in a moment, right, where we get there when he talks about, do you love me? And and, and Peter says, yes, I do, and feed my sheep. And if you've been around the church for any length of time, you know that the language he's using there was, do you love me like uh, like the God kind of love? And Peter's saying, no, I love you like a brother kind of love. And Jesus keeps asking him, and Peter at one point is like, look, this is all I got. I love you like a brother. I want to love you like a God kind of love, the Zoe love, but right now I just phileo, brother kind of love you. And maybe for the first time in his life, Peter was honest. And Jesus was like, yeah, I can work with that. This whole get your sword out, posturing, I'm going to be this. Jesus can't work with that. But you being honest with him and just saying, look, I'm just here. Whatever you want from me, I'm here. This is not the life that I thought I was going to get. This isn't the life I chose. 
I didn't choose to have my spouse leave me. I didn't choose to have my career go in the toilet. I didn't choose any of this. But all I know is I'm offering you this, this mess that I have called my life. I'm jumping out of the boat. I'm leaving it all behind. And I'm swimming to you, Jesus. And whatever you can make of this life, it's yours. And nobody in this room is too old. And nobody in this room is too young to say to Jesus, I'm here. This is all I've got. This is me. Can you work with this? And his answer is yes. From there, he can work. I remember those last days in the office of literally like I was pulling up to the office in my little truck. I mean, look, I had employees. It wasn't like I could put in a two-week notice. Like I had to figure out my way out. And I remember pulling in. I'm like, man, I just, I've got to, I got to act like I care. Like I, I got to figure out because I just, I knew that Jesus was calling me out of this boat. And I learned that what it really is, is the Romans 12 verse one, offering your life as a living sacrifice. My friend, Bobby Nelson, who owns Nelson Mazda, he calls it the, I don't care prayer is the Romans 12 prayer. And what he says is this, I don't care, God. Whatever you want, I'll do it. Whatever you want for me, whether you want me to, in his words, if you want me to have this dealership or not, if you want me to sell this one or not, I don't care. Whatever you want, that's what I want. That is Romans 12.1, offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, acceptable to you, right? being transformed by the renewing of your mind in verse three, and then you will know his will for your life. But it starts with jumping out of the boat and swimming to Jesus and leaving it all behind. And from there, Jesus can work with that. I pray that you find the courage to do that tonight. I'm 13 years in on this part of my journey. And Shannon can tell you it hadn't, you know, we, it hadn't been you know, awesome the whole time. We've had lots of battles and we've had lots of ups and lots of downs and lots of hurts and lots of victories. And I wouldn't trade it for the world because I'm right smack dab in the will of God and there's no better place to be than that because when you're in the will of God, you're standing next to Jesus. Notice that Jesus didn't leave the disciples. The disciples left him and all you got to do is walk back and he is waiting with open arms in the words of Jason tonight when you sang, turn your eyes on Jesus. Do that tonight. Would you do that with me? Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we turn our eyes toward you tonight. Would you forgive us, Lord, for holding on to the past, for holding on to the old? Would you forgive us, Lord, for that? We repent, turn around, go the other way. Give us the courage tonight to jump from whatever that boat is, to leave it all behind, and to follow you. We're so grateful for your invitation. I'm so grateful for your patience. Lord, man, I'm grateful for your patience with me. And I know that everybody in this room is the same. Give us insight tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.